Report. Everything's status quo, sir. Very well. If um, anyone needs me, I'll be in my ready room. Readier Room, the only and longest-running Star Trek The Next Generation rewatch podcast. Every week, we're coming at you with an episode from the series and all the behind-the-scenes lore that came together to make it happen. My name is Mitchell Mells, Chief Consultant of Services of Paramount, and with me is my partner and Head of Resources Management, Brandon Hobbs. Brandon, let me be the first to say, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Mitch. That's right. We're coming at you today on Christmas. The the most important day of the year, but still not as important as Star Trek. Yes, yes. This is what we do for you. In honor of this episode, I ordered some Chinese takeout today. That's good. That's good. I and can... uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I always convince myself somehow that ordering Mushu is a good idea. Are you a big Mulan fan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I order it. Um, that's where it, that's where it comes from. So then it comes from actually. Right, right, right. Now, so, why would ordering mushu be a bad idea? Well, it's not a bad idea, but it's it's never as uh, it's never as revolutionary as I think it's going to be. Okay, it's uh, I see, I see. Kind of a middling Chinese food. Our, right now, would you describe yourself as part of a happy family or not? Um. No, it's we're we're a pretty ambivalent family right now. Okay, I understand this. I feel this. But uh, I think I think the place I ordered from was Happy Something. Happy times. Maybe happy times. Happy Maybe days. Happy days. Yeah, these happy days yeah, are yeah. yours and mine. Both rushing to get that one out. Happy days. Um, happy days. <laughs> happy kitchen. Oh, I see. Now, are your I imagine Happy Kitchen is like anywhere in the continental United States that's a Chinese restaurant where it's constantly riding that line of food that tastes good to eat, but is too disgusting to look at. Um, yes. Yeah. Yes. You know, you, you go there to pick up your order one time and uh, you see that there's just a bunch of rats living in the kitchen and you're like, oh, I, is this putting my appetite off enough? And the, the food is always like you, you take the first bite and it tastes really good. And then as, as you continue eating it, the I, I would say it's almost the, the counter to the Japanese umami. Okay. It's like it's like the Chinese takeout bad version of that, where there's this underlying flavor that as you as you continue to eat it, you just notice more and more until you get sick and either throw up or stop eating it. Right. And of course that underlying flavor is not at all like food. You know? It's, no. It's like, oh man, I can really taste the walk, the metal of the walk. <laughs> the rats that stepped through the food as it was being cooked. <laughs> the sweat and tears that went into it. Literally. <laughs> <laughs> Probably some blood, too. Yeah. It's like, man, my, my wonton soup really tastes like sweat and tears. <laughs> <laughs> well, it usually actually does. That's true. Now... What's your favorite item if you in the in the generalized Chinese takeout? What's your favorite item? 
the the Chinese takeout universe. Yeah, I would say. I would probably say um, crab rangoon. I well, now what exactly is a rangoon? I don't know. Jesus. Well, it sounds like a Star Wars alien. It does. Um, if I Hold had to ch- choose a favorite thing while you're looking that up, it might be. It might just be pork fried rice, to be honest. But, um, you know, I'm pretty basic. I do like the general's chicken, but only if it's crispy. If it's not yeah. crispy, I send it back. Uh, yeah, I don't know why these are called rangoons. Well, can you make rangoon ra- is this is a city in Myanmar? You mean Burma? Anyway, sure. Um, sure. Can you make rangoons of other meats of other things? Oh no, there's no crab in it. <laughs> right. Well, that's what I'm asking. Is a rangoon specifically a crab dish? No, it's got to be. No, there's no crab in it. Like you said, crab rangoon. Yeah, but it's called a crab rangoon. I mean, some some someone might put crab in it at some point, but usually it's just cream cheese inside. Inside of what? inside of the, the pastry. It's like a pastry. Oh, it's a pastry? It's a fried pastry. I see. Now, do you, you think... You know this. I, Stop. I, I don't know this. Really? You've never had a crab rangoon before? Never. Ever, ever. Wow. Now, cream cheese in and of itself is kind of gross. Uh, no, I think it's delicious. Well, I know, I know what you think. I'm just telling you the truth. Oh, uh, okay, okay. Uh, yeah, I mean yeah. that's that's a lot of people's reaction to crab rangoons. They're they're kind of a divisive food stuff. I I like stuff. I don't like food, mm. which is why I like Chinese food so much. Food makes you fat. Food does make you fat, and fat makes you sad. Mm-hmm. So via the transitive property, food makes you sad. The picture for crab rangoons on the Japanese Wikipedia is really disgusting looking. Why do you use the Japanese Wikipedia? Sometimes I just like to see what they have to say. Also, send me that yeah. picture. Yeah, I'm sending it to you right now. Look at it. Oh my god, this does... This this looks <laughs> like just fried chicken skin. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's like an undefined pile of fried something. Yes. There's no shape to it. Uh, it's just unseasoned. <laughs> Completely unappetizing. Well... I mean that that reinforces my image of never eating this fucking thing. Well, that... no, because they they can look good here. I'll show you a good one. All right, all right. Make sure you post these to the Ready Room Twitter account so everyone can follow along at home. Of course, it'll well, be right above the picture of the cloaca I posted for our last week's episode. <laughs> See, this is a little more attractive. Yeah, yeah. This looks like food. I mean, there's a dipping sauce. They're clearly like arranged. You know, they're folded. Mm-hmm. Also, the framing of the picture makes sense. It's not just a crime scene photo like the other one. <laughs> the lighting really does make it look like a crime scene photo. It does. It's you know, like overly exposed. Yep. You need just like a, a comical chalk outline around around these rangoons. <laughs> or those little uh, yellow placards. 
right. with, with the numbers on them. It's like, oh, this is the yep. first piece of evidence. Yeah, a lot of fun. A lot of fun with this photo that you guys cannot see. Um, anyway, I don't know if you've noticed, but if I'm going to come clean here, I'm feeling a bit under the weather today. Yeah, yeah, we're all we're all sorry to hear that, Mitch. I'm below um, the weather. And look at you, you're still doing your duty as an admiral. Yes, yes, you cannot show weakness to your crew, but in this moment I am candid because it is just you and I. Right, right, right. Yes. I will persevere. Now, they said, they said, you can't go out in public if you're sick. You can't not wear a mask when you're sick. You can't cough on people's food. And to that, I say, I believe this was America last I checked. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that, that usually works. Hell yeah. Hell yeah, it does. Because, you know, those those damn libs, they're weak. They got those lib, weak arms. They're cowardly. They're craven. Like the Spider-Man villain? The hunter? Yeah. Yeah. I'm surprised you knew that. Yeah, I um, I'm, I have somewhat of a familiarity with Spider-Man's rogues gallery. Like, there's this old vulture man called the Vulture. Mm-hmm. There's yep. um, there's both Shocker and Electro, which is insane to me. But that <laughs> that is what that is. There's a lot of goblins too. Yeah, yeah, mind goblins. There's the Green Goblin, <laughs> the Hobgoblin, and I think like a mix of the two. Because it's it's yeah Harry. Os- Osman is the yeah, Harry Osman. He's the hobgoblin. <laughs> Harry and... Joel Osman. <laughs> and Norman Osman is the green goblin. It's a father-son kind of thing. Yeah, it's it's a family business. Although I believe that the spirit of the green goblin possesses the hobgoblin. I I am sure that happens at some point. Now, there's also Mysterio um who's not so mysterious, the butt He's around. <laughs> he creates mysteries. Yeah, he's got a big dome helmet, like a like a like a like a sex weirdo like an astronaut. Yeah. Um, and there's tons more. There's a rhino. There's a lizard. There's a guy made of sand. Sand guy. Um, I don't Sandman. Think, Sandman. I don't think any of these villains are particularly interesting. No, no, not really. But you know, when you're when your hero is a human spider. What are you gonna do? Yeah, everything else has to be animal themed. Yes, indeed it does. And and then you have Kingpin, who's just a big fat guy. Yeah, the most sinister villain of all. <laughs> an overweight man, an obese man. Oh, truly chills just thinking about it. Truly uh, exploring the realms of fantasy with that one. It's like, oh, this, <laughs> this guy's so big, he needs two chairs to sit down. And he's very dangerous. The naivete of uh, he's, ni- he's 1960s. Very he's <laughs> he can run a business. <laughs> oh man. Um, yeah. How about how about the Iron Patriot? I'm sorry. You mean Captain America? No, no. The Iron Patriot. It's it's what uh 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 the 
Nor Norman Norman Osborn takes over the Iron Man identity and becomes the Iron Patriot. Hold on, hold on. I have to look look this up. The Iron Patriot. This is a real thing. Yep. I mean, it's a real fictional thing, but. Uh, an amalgam of Iron Man and Captain America. This says nothing about Norman Osborn. Oh, yeah. It's, <laughs> literally a subheading is Norman Osborn. Whatever. Well, I guess I guess this is all true. Now, here's a question. When do you use the, the word fictional versus the word fictitious? <coughs> I don't know. Aren't they synonyms? Yeah, but, you know, why, why would you make that? Why would you make that synonym? Um, for someone for someone who knows a decent amount of Japanese, you uh, you really have no problem asking a, a question like that. Uh, well, I mean, I, I do I do know a lot of Japanese. This is true. So I'm just gonna hang my hat on that and not comprehend your question. Okay. Well, all I'm saying is that they they have ridiculous synonyms that don't need to exist too, like a lot of them, right? Yeah, that's true. But you know, I don't critique another person's culture. J just I my guess own. that that would be that would be white explaining. That's it is white explaining. All right, we have a question of the week this week, unlike the other weeks, um, mm -hmm. where where we don't have a question. But this week's question of the week comes from Nicholas at the North Pole. I guess some kind of a scientist of some sort who asks hello admirals i ho ho hope you're having a lovely holiday season my question is what did you two get each other for christmas checking you twice nicholas that was very strange um but i i appreciate the sentiment of the question nick but <coughs> it fails to account for one thing which is that both of us work in hollywood right Right, Brandon? Right, yes. And as such, we celebrate Hanukkah instead of Christmas. Mm -hmm. Inshallah. Inshallah. Now, Hanukkah is, I guess for the Gentiles out there, um, Hanukkah is quite the the storied holiday in that it's not just one day. How many days is it? It's, uh, it's, it's seven days. It's seven days, and one for each day of the week. And what do you do on each yes. of the days? What do you we do? Light the menorah. You you light the menorah. Okay. And what's that? Um, it's it's the the little the little candle thing. Yep. The, yep. You light you light one candle for each day, mm. and um, you spin the dreidel. Yep. Right. Now, um, but but each day has its own events. Like I know you know I've you know recently been exploring more of this of my heritage, but. Um, for example, on the first day, everyone sits around in the dark and eats unleavened bread, you know, and um, that's what you do for the entire day. But then, you oh, know, this... I'm sorry, it's it's eight days. I said seven, but it's eight days. Oh, I mean, you know, give or take a day, right? Yeah. No, I, I, I it's customary for me to to spend at least one of those days sleeping the entire day, so I usually lose one. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair, and everyone observes differently. Um, I know a family that for the entire eight day period, they, 
just do not leave their house at all. And uh, mm-hmm. they observe in complete solace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Every, everyone does observe differently. Um, some people are colorblind. That's true. That's you know. true. Uh, some some people are you know similar to dogs in that respect. Right, right. And in many other respects. Yes, yes, yes. Um, speaking of which, how did you uh, observe? They don't observe Hanukkah. Right, much like dogs. <laughs> But uh, yeah, sorry, I interrupted your question. I was just—I know you had a wild story. I just wanted you to tell everyone what you did for the fourth day of Hanukkah this year. Oh, the oh god, the fourth day of Hanukkah! Don't get me started. Well, that's actually explicitly what I'm doing to get you started. Um. Well, you were there. I was there. You were there. I mean, as usual, it would be weird if you weren't. Um. We lit we lit the fourth candle, right? Mm-hmm. We we spun our dreidel to to see what our fortune was. I remember and, when uh, I spun the dreidel, I got daikichi. That was, I was going to say I got daikichi too. We both got daikichi, so we said, you know, let's do something a little crazy today. Right? Yeah, yeah. Test the and, boundaries uh, of the luck. Yeah, we just we decided to go out. Um, and we we got we got some some sake bombs to celebrate. Do you know Hell what a yeah. sake bomb is? I, I of course I know what a sake bomb is. I was there, but for anyone at home, I, I, I'm wondering if you understood what we were doing. Well, you know, you take the sake, you drop it into the other thing, and you just drink until you black out. I I didn't. To be honest, my recollection of the night isn't as good as yours. I I ended up waking up and coming to on the sixth day. Um. So I, I lost a day there. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, well, um, you, you know, for anyone who doesn't live in Hollywood, I, I don't think they're going to really understand <coughs> um, just how, how, how much of a party city it is. You know? It's uh, the glitz and the glam and the dazzle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, you, 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 you come to know people. And they uh, they're able to hook you up with with certain kinds of um, substances that that let you have even more fun, mm. right? Like DMT. Now I don't know a lot about DMT, but if I remember correctly, you put it into the matzah. Yes, yes, because. Because everyone was celebrating Hanukkah, right? So you go to someone's house in Hollywood, and it's, it's all Hanukkah, right? Right. So we were at our buddy's place after you know getting hammered. We put the DMT in the in the the matzo ball soup, and um, we we communed with God that day. I got to know him a little better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now. Um, what the Gentiles might not know is the God's name in in Hebrew, mm-hmm. um, which is Yahweh. And a lot of people, when they hear this for the first time, they say, "No way!" And and uh, right, and they're like Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh. Yeah. yeah. And um, well, here's here's what God told me. 
Okay. And I've already told you this, but just, just for the instance. <coughs> God told me that um, <coughs> our Star Trek podcast is the best Trek podcast on the internet of all time. Yeah, I heard that both from God and Entertainment Weekly. Mm-hmm. And the bear as well. And the bear. Yes. So, um, through our DMT sucky, sucky bomb fueled uh, fourth night of Hanukkah, we we got divine approval for our yes for our goings. We we have reawakened anew, and um, our our we're doing this podcast with with even more vigor now. Well. Um, Emotional vigor. I am quite lacking in the physical vigor department right now. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. It's mostly emotional vigor. Yes. Um, we will have a, a new shirt. Uh, um, the ready room approved by God. Yeah, I can't wait. That's going to debut yep. alongside of our shirt, which is a picture of Worf saying, um, Saki bombs are ready, Captain. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, oh, I like that one. Yeah, it's uh, it, it was a bountiful night for our religious spirit and for our t-shirt business. Yes, yes, lots of good ideas. Uh, but yeah, yeah. So, so that uh, that's 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 where we're at right now, Ensigns. Thank you for your continued support. Yeah, and uh, thanks, Nick, for the question. Um, now I will have to shame you a little bit for assuming that we celebrated Christmas, which is just incredibly rude. Ridiculous. Yeah. There's some things I always thought the Ensigns were were better at. Right. Right. Wasn't to be. Was not to be. But if you're like Nick and you have an insensitive question that you would like to ask us, you can email us at thereadierroom at gmail.com or send us a tweet or a DM on Twitter at thereadierroom. All of these being with capital T and two capital R's. And if we like your question, we'll answer it. Well, we don't like it. You know, whatever. Uh, the, the bar is low. Depends on how desperate we are that week. Yes, 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 yes. So, speaking of desperate, desperation, um, season three, we're here. We're queer. We're used to it. It's time for... The Ensigns of Command, which is the name of the second episode of the season. And yeah. overall, I haven't, I haven't asked your opinion on this, but I'm just going to come out and say it. Overall, pretty good episode. Yeah. Oh, yeah, God. overall pretty good. Thank God. <laughs> you never know yeah, this, this guy. This, this, this is sure to inspire discussion when we both agree on something. Yeah, we both agree with, Thank a, God. with the tepid... Uh, the tepid take of pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> there, there's a couple stupid things that happen, but overall it's it's okay. Um, I thought the title would be like a play on words. Yes. Like an ensign would have to take command. But instead, it's just somewhat nonsensical. It's just it's just it's just the uh, it's just. Like a, a basically an old version of the word signs. 
they decided to use for some reason. Well, you know, you can't um, you can't just you can't just call every episode where silence has lease because there's already an episode with that title. Right, you've already you've already stolen that, so you have to steal from something else. Right. Um. Um. I have a little bit of a theory about the title that I'll go into later, but I'm into it. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about it later. But yeah, it was it was a solid episode, good concept. I really liked the idea of having to pull an entire population out of a city that has no kind of frame of reference for the larger universe outside it. Yeah, and, and... I love the idea of um, Data's leadership skills. Um, a being tested, but B hinging on these non uh, non quantitative factors. Mm-hmm. That uh, he yeah, would yeah, yeah, totally. actually struggle with. Yeah, this this episode had really cool character development. Now, was, um, yeah. Oh, I was just gonna say that it was written by Melinda, Melinda Snodgrass, who seems to love data episodes. She did Measure of a Man and Pen Pals. Well, two thirds of these were good episodes. <laughs> did we dislike Pen Pals? I don't remember what our reaction was at the time, but my memories of it are not fond. Not fond, yeah. Yeah, yeah I yeah, I think so too. Now, here's the thing. Um, this episode does something that becomes more commonplace in Trek, but is kind of uh, standard for television writing, but I was happy to see it, where it has the, the opening scene. It's not quite a cold open, but... Um, not impact the plot, but it reinforces the theme of the episode, mm-hmm. and it signals yeah. what's going down. And that's kind of standard practice for for TV writing in a lot of ways, but it's not something that TNG had done a lot up until this point. And uh, that yeah, sure, sure, that coming in here stuck out to me, and uh, I like it. Just good structuring. Yeah, it's, it's really good. Yeah, definitely. Um, data, data, being worried about his violin skills. Right. Uh, and th- this this scene was kind of a happy accident, though, wasn't it? Um, for Data to be in that chair. It was. Um, it was happy, depending on who you're, who you ask. <laughs> I think the audience would be happy, but not everybody on on set was. Uh, like initially, so Brent, he can't play the violin, but. Um, Michael, Michael Dorn, can. Yeah. Um, he's quite the violinist. I've, I've heard him play. I've seen him play. And a lot of the violin knowledge in this episode, in this script, and in future episodes of the series, comes directly from him. And what he wanted was to kind of be like Frakes. Frakes plays his trombone on set, on, on the show, and he kind of shows off a bit. Michael wanted in on that, too. But... We got a note from the producers saying that a black violinist was just too far outside the realms of science fiction to to suspend the disbelief for. Mm-hmm. So we had to retool it a bit and give that skill set over to Data, which is what we end up seeing here. Right. And, and I think, you know, it works better this way. We could all agree on that. But um, not a happy ending for Michael. Maybe he wouldn't necessarily agree. But for the most part. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think I think the the producers going forward, um, whenever whenever they had a problem with with an African American um, 
doing something like this. They, they would instead um, insert the word, they would exchange African-American for Klingon. You know, yes, it would be it would be silly if there's a Klingon divide, and then and in that way you can't really argue with it or get too too worked up about it. Um, the, the unfortunate side effect was that Klingon started being used around set to refer to African Americans in a derogatory way. But um, yeah, I can't. We, uh, do you remember? Stamp that out. How many times Gene would come visit and he said, "I want all the Klingons off the set now." Yep. Yep. Yeah. It was. A little awkward. It was disturbing. It was disturbing. Um, you know. Also, we have we have an Irishman playing the cello, uh, which is equally as as vexing. That's true. That's true. Um, it would have probably been more believable if they if they brought out some bongos for him so he could just wildly smack them like his races want to do. Well, I th- it'd be most believable if they just brought out some alcohol for him to drink, <laughs> a, a wife for him to beat. <laughs> Yes, indeed. Yeah, good scene. Good, good scene. It is a good scene. It's a good. Uh, it fulfills a, a a purpose inside of. And the you scenes. get a little, you get a little tension with Data thinking that Picard just leaves. Yes, I love that. That <laughs> uh, that. <laughs> it, it, there's a lot that's funny to me about that. The idea that Data, this this android, um, can get distracted in that way where he stops playing. Right. It, it like right. it's not he he just can't focus on two things at once with his positronic brain. He can't, yeah, he can't watch Picard leave and keep playing the violin. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a little silly, but it, I, I'm I'm glad they wrapped it up at the end. Yeah, it's not it's not silly in a way that detracts, but it it is silly, big silly. So um, we. Picard leaves because he, he's he's got to talk to some aliens. Um, what are they called? The Shellyaks. Uh, the Shellyaks. <coughs> I think he gets a message from them rather than speaking to them. Yeah, directly. yeah. It's it's like it's like a recorded message telling him that there's there's a human colony on a planet that belongs to them and they're gonna blow it up if he doesn't get them off in three days. Right. They're they're so. like squatters. And the problem is there's so much radiation on the planet and in the atmosphere. That all of this ship tech doesn't work conveniently. Yes. And also, Data's the only one who can survive going down to the planet. By virtue of being an android. Yeah, so so it's Data's job to do that. It's never really adequately explained why these humans are or have been able to adapt to such a radiated atmosphere. Yeah. No, it's not. Um, but I also don't really want the answer. <laughs> They also bring up the... Oh, never mind. Yeah, who gives a shit? They conceded that, like, enough of them died for it to be, you know, I don't know. They yeah. got lucky. I guess. It's not really consequential to the plot. No. No. But it, it it's all in service of making Data. Data is the one that must solve this problem. There's no other yeah. alternative. Um, although there is some... I, I kind of enjoyed the the team of O'Brien and Jordy like trying to work around this. There's mm-hmm. there's one funny scene much later on in the episode where they're working on the, the trans like transporting in these conditions. <laughs> yeah. And they're feeling yeah. Picard just walks in in like a like a like a long shot, um says, How's it going? And they say, Oh, it's terrible and Picard says, Splendid and walks away. <laughs> <laughs> like 
He's like, how's it going? Uh, about as well as you'd expect. All right, then. <laughs> and that's the whole scene. But it was it was just you know, quickly paced enough to, to be quite funny. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was it was good. But um, when uh, Data gets down there and he finds all this resistance to the notion of evacuation... And he's like, oh, well, what if I just tell you guys that you need to evacuate? And they say no. Yeah, yeah. Like, they, they, they clearly they clearly don't, they don't, they don't have the frame of reference to, to understand um, just how quickly they'd be killed. So Data's kind of battling their ignorance the entire episode, uh, especially, um, uh, what's the leader's name? Golshevin. Golshevin, well, yeah, no, Goshevin. Go Goshevin? Right? I think it's Goshevin. I think it's Golshevin. I think you're thinking of the Bolsheviks. <laughs> you know, I was just thinking of the Bolsheviks, but I, I do believe that this this guy's name is Gosh Golshevin. No, it's it's no, it's Goshevin. There's no L. There's no L. All of my notes are wrong. All of them. Yeah. So he's um, he's he's particularly stubborn about it as the leader, and um. His his voice is also dubbed over. Yeah, in in one of the most obvious cases of extremely uh, distract, yeah, of ADR in the series, it's every single and he's he has quite a heavy presence in the episode and every scene that he's in, you just can't help but notice it. Like, that's right. that's not right. Um, yeah. So with uh, I assume everyone wants an explanation for this. Why would you just Hobble your own show by ADRing it like that. Well, yeah, you guys haven't heard that actor speak. Um, very, very thick Eastern European accent. Mm. There's some footage of like Arnold Schwarzenegger in his early career when he's just a bodybuilder, and how completely nonsensical he is to speak English. And this guy was a lot of the same. In fact, and we knew once once production started, we we knew it wasn't going to work. I don't even know why we casted that guy, but um, yeah. But I mean, by the time we did, we were already running against the clock and the budget. So yeah, people hard. people don't realize how many resources it takes to do something like an audition or yeah. to to yeah whatever. But even just getting through production with this wasn't easy because. Acting is not a one-way street. Uh, people feed off each other's energy. And when Brent had to act alongside this guy, he just had no idea where, where this guy was in the script, what he was saying, how he should emote against it. Uh, right. I think Brent compared it to working with an animal, like a dog, You know, in case you don't know what an animal is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, it was just well, so... he was, he was a, a Slav, right? So exactly, exactly. And I would, I want to say that he hurt that guy's feelings, but I'm also not sure if that actor un even understood the insult, given given <laughs> where his English was. Right, right. So who knows for sure? But somewhere in the vaults, there, the original footage without the ADR exists, and it's my sincere hope that we're able to bring it to you guys one day. Yeah, I uh, I wonder if they put it on the Blu-ray or something. 
they gotta. That's a, that's a pretty heavy special featurette that yeah. I, I would want in a Blu-ray. Yes, yes. I, I would love to uh, experience that again. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Um, Data Data's lucky, though, in that, that he uh, he meets um, an attractive woman, a relatively attractive woman. Um, who, you gotta temper yourself. Who, um, right in front of Goshevin, says that she's going to help Data convince the rest of, of the, the city to evacuate. And um, if, if you're getting cuckold vibes here, you would be correct. Very Shakespearean. The, the unfortunate fact, again, of time and budget constraints was that we had to cut a sizable, basically the entire portion of the cuckolding subplot, uh, which Melinda wasn't happy about. Um, no. That was pretty integral to this this episode, the way it was originally written. Um, and uh, that's the that, you know that's another thing I would have loved to see, but we we ultimately didn't end up filming that. Uh, we 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 got a couple of the scenes like the one where he, where where Goshevin wistfully looks as uh, as Data walks away with his his girlfriend, um, and that's about it. It's a shame. In some ways, though, I'm happy that got cut. I wouldn't want to deal with the time on set where he would have, where Gojin would have to act through the scenes that require him to, you know, cry in front of the camera, <laughs> emote. Yeah, it just would have yeah. been would have been too difficult. But um, you know what could have been a lot of that cuckold um, subplot, I believe, was uh, recycled for one of the films much later on. I don't quite recall which one it is, but it's it's uh, the one where there's that whole colony or planet of like people that wear beige. You know what I'm talking about? No. Uh, well, one day. <coughs> the audience knows. The audience. I'm sure they do. They are the, Trek fans. They are the diehard Trekkies. What can I say? They die hard. They they certainly die hard. So, good lord. I like this episode, but I am really struggling to, to get through this. Um, what happened? The, the, so, data just... there's there's a lot of... Yeah? Kind of, yeah, yeah, I think I know where you're going. There's a lot of data running around trying to figure out what the best strategy is to get people to, to, to follow him hmm. and, and allow themselves to evacuate. Uh, interspersed, there's... Um, you know, obviously, Geordi uh, trying to fix the the teleporter, transporter, um, transporter. Riker yelling at Data to just just figure it out. Um, Picard trying to contact the what are they called? Shellyaks. The Shellyaks, um, to allow them to have, you know, a couple weeks to use whatever method to, to get to get these people off the planet because their transporters aren't working and even if they were it would take like weeks to transport them all on board um and so here's here's a bit of a now you know what well i'll talk about that later eventually we get into that public debate scene right is this Which i think it's kind of the, the next real is this where he tries reverse psychology yes yeah 
Yeah, and Data encountering the concept of reverse psychology was somewhat funny to me because he just mm-hmm. explains what it is. It's like advocating the the adverse effect to get the desired outcome. Oh, <laughs> like thanks, Data. But um, yeah, I I like that scene. I liked it well enough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I I like seeing Data public speak publicly, be an orator of some sort. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's nice. And he's he's not successful here. And when he isn't successful, he says, oh, I was trying reverse psychology. <laughs> Which yeah. was kind of funny. Right. But yeah, it's it, was, it, was, it was a good performance. It was a good scene. I liked it. Um, even though in my notes I said, God, this public debate scene is gay, and I'm not sure why I wrote that. I don't know why you wrote that either. There was something about it that bothered me, and I don't know what it is now. Interesting. Um, I mean, it could just be the grandiose way that Data spoke. No, I don't, you know what? I think I think it was the way that uh, that that Data basically convinced no one. Right. Well, he convinced them at first, and then Golshevin comes in and um, yeah, and 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 says one word, and and everyone goes back to him, which I found somewhat unbelievable. Is that when he clapped? Yeah. He clapped for Data. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't a fan of how that scene ended. But, you know, I guess we had time to fill, so we have to kind of do it all over again. Um they, yeah. they all go to that girl's house. They the scene kind of happens three times. Um Yeah. There at that woman's house where Data is is attacked and taken out of commission, but really not really cuz he's just back and still He's just like fainted. Yeah. yeah. And uh at the end at that pumping station which right. all of these are more or less the same scene. Pretty much, yeah. And I, I do like the final scene, and we'll get to it, but uh, yeah, the, <coughs> the way it played out, it does it does feel very redundant. It does. Um, um, I think that's that's a clear problem with, with, with this script here. Um, you could have several conflicts, but you didn't need to have them all play out more or less identically. Right. I, I think I mean I don't know. They tried to shake it up by uh, by having Goshen come in and try to kill Data, I guess. But but then that doesn't again, amount to anything. There was no consequence, yeah. So it it doesn't like the the girl doesn't even help in any way. She just kind of sits there and waits for him to wake up. That's her throughout the entire episode, really. She well, she, she she kisses Data. Okay. Yeah, I know. I know you love your cuckolding stuff, but calm down. It didn't add a lot to the episode. Um, now, we, we, the, the, the writers loved giving Data, like, one episode romantic interests. Yeah. And it's a weird dichotomy where they're so steadfast about the reality of Data. It's like, I don't have any feelings. Right. Which is fine. That's That's good. But... When you stick so hard to that, why also introduce these one-off love interests when you know it doesn't really mean anything? Because it's always the same. Right. So, um, a little strange. I Meanwhile, while this is happening, on the Enterprise, Picard is trying to contact the... Shelyak. What is Shelyak. wrong with you? It's the um, third time. I don't remember their names. 
um, and and he's he's with Troy in his in his ready room. Yes, and, and um, there's there's actually fish in his tank, for once. Thank God, blessed Thank fishmonger. God. So, <laughs> the Sheliak agreed to have like a face to face conversation. Yes, and I have a few I have a few problems here. Okay, lay it on me. First of all, he beams aboard their ship, right? No, no, I, I think he beams them aboard. Well, who's the he in this situation? Picard beams aboard their ship. Yes, he doesn't yes. beam them aboard. Yeah, Picard beams aboard. How, their how does ship. The, how does the transporter work? Well, they're not they're they're beaming through space, whereas uh, beaming down to the planet through the planet's irradi- irradiated atmosphere was the problem. Oh, that's retarded. No, but no, but but no, that no, that's not that's not it really quite because because I think it was Riker that commented as they approached the planet, their weapon systems were down and everything. I think the radiation oh, that's true. extends into space. That is right? true. So I mean, they, maybe they pulled out. I don't know. <laughs> oh yeah, maybe they. I guess that's 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 a possibility. But the fact that it wasn't addressed really bothered me. <laughs> okay, that's because fair. because part of the plot of this episode is to fix the transporter. Yeah. So yeah, that was something. They don't have to worry about it because the 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 Shelliac Shelliacs beam them back aboard themselves, back aboard the Enterprise themselves. Um, Troy has some serious camel toe here. Yeah, she does. I I did notice that. Yeah, like serious. It's she fell victim to the onesie. Yep. <laughs> Rode now- up just a little too much. I wrote down in my notes the line, you do not discuss, you gibber," which, uh-huh. which tickled me. I don't know. Yeah. 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 Um, it, it's a, it's a nice concept, but I felt this scene fell flat because the scene immediately preceding it was Troy telling him, you have to speak very deliberately and specifically. And then he goes on board their ship and just yells platitudes at them. And he gibbers. And he gibber he does gibber, and it's like, what did you think was gonna happen? And over the course of these three days, Picard only thinks to look at the treaty at the very last second. Yeah, I had I took on verge with that. that. Right? You would think that that's instantly where where that's anyone would be. That's the first thing go. you look at. Because clearly and I don't know if they outright say this, but clearly these are very litigious minded people yeah yeah they absolutely they, they do uh, basically i think troy says that so and once that's the case you gotta just turn to to the way well do what troy says the way that they communicate speak deliberately right yeah right and <laughs> when when you're looking at a dispute where a treaty is involved you want to know that treaty pretty pretty intimately so that you can figure out any loopholes that will you know buy you some time and of course, that's exactly so, what happens, right? But but not not until Picard seems to have spent the entire three days just sitting in a chair, doing nothing, just yelling at people and do impossible things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, I, I have a uh, I have a mission for you, and I don't want you to say it's impossible. Like what? Like, it's it 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 felt very very. It felt like. Not a not a good representation of his character. No, and uh, it just as an episode, it it feels a little a little runaround, like a little useless. What mm-hmm. was the point of all this screen time? Sure, sure. 
Although, you know, ultimately, Data's mission would have been somewhat the same. You know, you still have to convince these people. Right, uh, right, whether, right. Whether, it, whether it takes three days or three weeks. So that's that's not too bad, I guess. It's just yeah. that the tension was a little artificial. Yes. And... Instead of making it, like, a ticking clock kind of thing, turn it into a more morality story, like can, uh, moving sure. these people off of their their planet, whether or not they want to, convincing yeah, them. And, and yeah, and you, you can do that at a relax pace you yeah. don't need the you almost never need the ticking clock right now they like did ever. they did this um in season seven when you love season seven i do love season seven that episode where wesley returns to shepherd a herd of indians american indians off of their planet oh my god you love this episode in particular yeah. well it's the return of the traveler uh it's the, yeah. the culmination <laughs> of that that fucking plot line mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. By the way, before we get off of this, that Shellyak puppet, just for everyone that knows at home, if you want to make your own. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was a beautiful, beautiful yeah. little prop. It's just three garbage bags, a couple staples, and a, and a low-powered fan, and mm-hmm. you can have your own Shellyak. Yeah, yeah, uh, really simple stuff, and it, I mean, look, it looks beautiful. Right. A lot of it is lighting. Um, yeah. It's, it's a clear way that uh, how television is lit can really color your impression of, of props of scenes of, of anything yeah yeah we, we did a good job with that we did we did um so data wakes up and uh I, he realizes that um he, he just suddenly decides that he's going to uh fix the the phaser <laughs> to work, uh, yes in in this radiated field or whatever um, once once he needed to do it it became possible right it's really convenient that he's kind of made out of the same chips that that need to be in the phaser to make it work. Yeah. Um, Would you I, rather the, the the line where she's like, "You're making the phaser smarter." <laughs> I don't remember that line. Is that a real line? It it, it, it it I probably paraphrase it to make it sound a little dumber, but it still sounded dumb. Um. As a side note, we do get our first look at the Type Two phaser here. Yeah, uh, which which we we started using this season, and we would go on to use I, th- I think for the rest of the seasons, right? Yeah. Um, we 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 made this one out of necessity. We had a, 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 a little problem with the design patent, um, filed by the, uh, the the Type One's original creators. So we just figured, you know, it would just be easier to make a new one, right? And I th- I think it looks better actually. Doesn't look like a dustbuster anymore. Right, it does not. <laughs> it's it's got a little heft to it. It looks like a weapon instead of something you would use to unlock your car doors. Something you would use to bust dust. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I like it. I like how the phasers evolve, the uniforms evolve, the tri- the tricorders evolve. Um, yeah, uh, unfortunately, not into quad quarters. But... Right, right, right. But you know, we can dream, dare to dream. Mm. Um. Yeah, and and then I guess we get to the conclusion where where Data threatens to blow up and indeed uh, inflict some damage upon the uh, the little canal thing they got going there. What's what's it called? Uh, the aqueduct. 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 I can reduce this pumping station to a pile of rubble, says Data. <laughs> Very threatening. Yes. But it was uh. It was cathartic to see that Data had finally figured out how to get these people 
to uh, to go along with his plan. Yeah, I like it, that. it's good to see the 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 hero succeed. And I, I like that there was an evolution of like him naively expecting them to follow him when he first got there, and then he tries some mental tricks, and then finally he realizes, <laughs> oh, I should just threaten to kill them. <laughs> Violence was the answer. Violence was the answer. <laughs> I mean, I really like that too. Um, obviously, that's the core conflict of the episode, Data's evolution as a leader. Um, and it, it pays off, you know, it's, it's, it's a satisfying conclusion. I yeah. agree. Yeah. Um, it is innately funny to see Data threatening people, but, you know, it, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it, it's, it's logically consistent. Which is more than can be said for a lot of Star Trek episodes. Uh, yes. Now, <laughs> I don't even know where it's going with that. Now, now, just now. Um, how now? How now, brown data. I am liking this episode less the more we talk about it. <laughs> so Really? Uh, yeah. What, what's, what's bothering you so far? Uh, the, the structural problems with the script, I would say. <laughs> the redundancy of some of these data scenes. The, the Picard's characterization. Um, mm-hmm. the, the frivolity of everything, basically everything on the Enterprise. Um, I, I, it's making me, it's just making me like the episode less. Yeah. Yeah, I think I agree with you. Well, that's good. We, we we started agreeing on it being pretty good, and now we agree that it's not. <laughs> I like the, um, you know, disregarding Picard only looking at the treaty at the last second. I do I do like the, the last scene he has with the Sheilas? The Sheiliac. Sheiliacs. All right, we're getting there. Closer, yes. Now, do you, uh, do you, you, do you like him being, uh, I don't know, petty in that moment? Yes. Yes, I do. Okay. I, I don't know if I was a big fan of it, but I didn't hate it. I think I think it's because it's I mean it is it is a situation that Picard is uh, probably not used to dealing with, and it's you know he's he's getting kind of cold shouldered and hung up on and stuff like that. So it's nice to see him express that frustration. A very human, human thing. I liked I liked you know when when Riker's like, oh, you're enjoying this. He says, you're damn right. <laughs> you're goddamn right. Yeah, I, I like that. Fair enough. And, uh, yeah, then, of course, all's well that ends well. Um, he leaves, Data leaves his girlfriend without saying goodbye, basically. Yeah. He kisses her and then autistically gets into the, the <laughs> shuttle. And... Well, the whole idea was that she would pine for Data. He would not return that affection. Right. And he would right. just kind of chad. He would chad away. Yeah, um, he would chad away. Right. The producers are very clear on that. They wanted Data to be the chad. In that situation, which right, was a very prescient production note. Yeah, 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 and I, you know, I think it did end up working. Um, and well, here's here's my question: Had Data developed to become a Chad? Because I, I feel like he he felt more uh, more intimate affection for Yar. That's true, and he did bang Yar a lot. Yes. So who knows, really? Because he seemed like saddened by her death somehow. By Yar's death, yeah, yeah, which is implies an opposition to the data here, who says, 
I don't have feelings. Right. Which, Wait, you mean some, something in TNG is inconsistent across episodes? Something from what? season one? No way. <laughs> fuck season one and fuck season one people. I guess, yeah. <laughs> Having thought about it, yeah. I guess. I suppose so, but I still would have liked them to keep it a little bit more consistent than that. No, no. Or, I... but, but then again, you know, maybe it is he's, he's just become a Chad. I like to think of Data as a Chad. Yeah, I don't know, it's just, that's he's cute. He can be chatty, Chad-worthy. He's Chad-like. Yes. When you operate can... so far above human emotion, I don't know, you, you got some Chadness in you. Yeah, he could he could steal Neo's girlfriend. Mother of God. <laughs> so there's uh. There's there's that scene at the end. What 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 scene? There's that scene at the end. Go on. Oh yeah, there's that scene at the end where I. Uh, where uh, Picard tells Data he listened to his performance. Oh, yes. Cute. Yes, okay. That's what it is. I completely fucking forgot. Jesus. But it, it wraps the episode up in a nice bow, and if I'm gonna... Ha- yeah. If I'm gonna hate on some structural issues we identified, I have to praise that as a structural you know, positive. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it, it reinforces the theme. It's not just a callback. It, it um, has meaning to it. Right, right. Don't call it a callback. Right. I will never call it a callback. <sighs> Unless it came yeah, to audition, it's... in which case I would give it a callback. Mm-hmm. But it's good. Um, I, I, Whatever problems I identify, I again, I really do like the what this episode is about. Data struggling with leadership, uh, coming to understand humanity in a new way via leadership. The, the slight parallel that has with his uh, take on violining. Um, yeah, it all works. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I do like, I do like most of it. So I, I don't, I don't think, I mean, as much as we talk about <coughs> like, yeah, maybe we don't like it as much as we thought we did. I still don't dislike it. No, I don't dislike it either. But, you know, if I started at like, I don't know, 65%, maybe it's like a 60 or a 55. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You got yeah. any, got any yeah, trivia so. for me? Um, well, first of all, I got I got to tell you this story, and and it's it's not a joke. Um, but we've never told it. This is not a comedy podcast, sir. I know you're not joking. We, sometimes you like to you like to throw out little little quips every now and then. Do you, do you want a joke? Do you have one? I do. Okay. Um, what do you call? An alligator detective. Um, it's on the tip of my tongue, but what is it? An investigator. Oh. Huh. Um. That's pretty good. What What does a farmer use to count his cows? A counter. A calculator. A calculator. Um, you satisfied? 
I mean, I would have been more satisfied if you laughed. Sorry. I'm sure the ensigns laugh. Yeah. I've just, I've heard these all before. That's true. That's just, <laughs> that is true. Um, anyway, what do you got for me? <laughs> what's, what's your story that's not a joke? Uh, so this, this is for the ensigns. Um, we, we, we played a little, uh, a little prank on Will this episode. Oh. Well, <laughs> this season, really. So in, in between the hiatus between season two and three, um, you may or may not remember, um, this was kind of off our radar for the most part, but Will was, uh, cast in this film called Valmont hmm. and he was supposed to be filming, filming in Paris between seasons two and three. Right. And it would have been totally fine. You know, it, as long as, you know, everything was on schedule and they didn't have to, you know, reshoot anything or things didn't kind of go over, over, over the, the, the allotted time. Right. Hmm. Now, Rick, however, calls Will's agent and says, he can't do this movie, you know, uh, uh, probably thinking, you know, what, what if what if something does happen and Will's not available for filming once we start? Right. And he says, he says, I've got the first episode we're filming is a very Wesley-centric episode. Um, and so he convinces Will's agent that Will cannot do this movie. He has to. He has to get off it and be available for shooting immediately once it starts. So, so he does that. And so Will comes in, and um, <laughs> you should have seen his face when he realized he had one line in the first episode, <laughs> uh, and it was not Wesley centric at all. Um, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, so he had given up a movie, a film, to have one line in the first episode of Star Trek The Next Generation Season 3. And um, you, you remember we had started taking to calling him uh, Movie Star? Yes. Like, hey, Movie Star. That's why. That's why. Um, and he would just seethe so hard. He, like, he, he would, like he'd get red in the face and start kind of like punching himself. Whenever you call him that, right? You walk by him in the hall, he starts screaming. Um, yeah, that's why. And and here's my theory. I'm wondering if this was called Ensigns of Command in an effort to make Will think that it was going to be about him. That's so good. Now, <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I'm beside myself. I'm very, very into this. Uh, very, very, very good times for most of us. For ninety-nine percent of the world's population, this is a, <laughs> this, this is a good memory, a good story. Um, Frakes was the most relentless about this, as he always is. But big shot, movie star. <laughs> you know, where's the Oscar, my friend? Um, all, all the time. <laughs> yes, it, uh, it it really carried us through season three. Uh, it's it's one of those things that it was kind of the cherry on top of how well we were doing. With this series, like like we the wheels had been set in motion, we were just riding it out, having a blast, you know. Um, it's just just absolutely hilarious, you know. Uh, uh, also the 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 Dalai Lama guys visited us. You remember that? I do. When we were filming this episode, yeah, minus minus one, but yes, <laughs> minus the Dalai Lama himself. But yeah, they they were they were big TNG fans. 
Um, I didn't even know they had TVs in Tibet. Right. But uh, this this was a big one for you and me, Mitch, because we were we were scrambling for days trying to get the catering down. Right? That was one of our biggest um, biggest jobs. I mean, at the time, we didn't know they would be minus one, but you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I I don't think we would have cared quite as much, but um, it was probably one of our most stressful moments uh, working on this show. Um, but in the end, we decided to go with takeout from Shanghai Garden down the street. Um, just given that Tibet is the rightful property of the People's Republic of China, we wanted them uh, to we, feel at we home. Thought that would be, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. And uh, well, it was food. I mean, just as we started our this episode with, you know, sometimes right, right. the the crab rangoons you, and sometimes you rangoon the crab. Mm-hmm. And much like this episode, we have we have tied it up in a nice little bow. Indeed. The ensigns uh, of command. The ensigns of the readier room. The n words of command. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, I I did have something for you, and I have to find it now. Is uh are we are we going back to the comic? No, no, no. <laughs> All right, so so Picard nominates the Grizellas to to mediate, right? Yes, he does. You remember um, them, you don't remember Sheliak. <laughs> oh god, I could have remembered Sheliak just just by celiac disease. Yeah. Sheliak disease. <laughs> yeah, so Picard nominates the Grizellas and we we haven't seen the Grizellas yet. My question to you is what season do the Grizellas actually show up in? Oh. Oh, goodness. Um Now they're not they're not the Mick Fleetwood fish people, right? No. Okay. No, they, they hibernate for six months. I think they're just named after grizzly bears. Grizellas. Grizellas. The Grizellas sounds like a like a like a riot girl band. <laughs> um So what season? Yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to keep it as broad as possible. That's fair. If it's season seven, I'm gonna be very embarrassed. Uh, but I'm not going to say season 7. I'm going to say season 5. Season 5. Yeah. Um, It was actually a trick question. They never show up. Why would you do this to me? <laughs> Sometimes you think outside the box. I don't know. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I do. Today I'm I'm sick. I'm vulnerable. I I stayed in the box. Yeah, I guess I should I, I should have given you a, a question in good faith since you're sick. I'm sorry. That's okay. But do they show up in the apocrypha? I don't think they do. I was trying to find like <laughs> pictures of them. You gotta be kidding me. Exist. This is a race mentioned by name on TNG, and they don't. There's not a main character of that race in Lower Decks. Are you kidding me? Right, right, right. Hold on, let's see. Oh, it's Ensign Grizella. Like fuck off. Yeah, dude, no one's even tried to depict the Grizellas in anything. Well, good, I guess, but damn. That's like the most obvious TNG well you could revisit. For that matter, why have the Sheliacs never shown up again, considering how advanced they are? That's a good question. Um, Fight the Borg? 
What, with their uh, litigation? They're, <laughs> they're inorganic, and they can apparently raise an entire planet from space. It sounds like the, the, the Federation should have brokered some kind of deal with them. There was too much gibbering for that deal to work. <laughs> you do not discuss. Oh well. You gibber. At some point in the episode, I just have my notes here. I want to touch on this. Picard says thee and me. I, I don't yes. really get that. Thee and me. Thee and me. Uh, here's another question. Just 20 thee and me. From my notes. To you... <laughs> Take any umbrage with the the Sheliacs using the term Earth Days. Do they use it? Yeah, they said you uh, you have three Earth Days to remove the humans. No, uh, at first they just said three days. They used the phrase Earth Days. I don't remember that, but but if if they do, then it was inconsistent because they say three days one time and then three Earth Days the next. Um. And yeah, I do. T I take umbrage with it either way. You have three of your Earth days. I am an alien. <laughs> what did that Ferengi say? Like, uh, three of your hours? Something like that, yeah. <laughs> say, shut up, dude. How do you measure the day, then? Because there's, there's like, uh, an objectivity to it. I mean, I guess they come from different planets. Well, that's what a day is, right? It's a revolution. Um, one complete revolution. Or a uh, rotation? Rotation. Yeah. Yeah. A year is a revolution. But... A Nintendo revolution. In actuality, the idea of inter... Um, really kind of interplanetary communication using a day... As anything is kind of meaningless. It's a little silly, right? Yeah, time. Our our idea of time is based around the planets, uh, the planet and its re relation to the sun. Yeah. So taking that idea of time into space inherently does not work. <laughs> sure. Yeah. 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 You would you would think that there would be some kind of standard measure of time that everyone would start using right maybe the ferengi are rebels maybe they don't want to use it <laughs> we'll, we'll use your minutes for this you're not <laughs> worthy of our minutes i don't know that there's there's something to it though that really just rubs me the wrong way i agree i agree and well, i'm too stupid to to be able to articulate it i'm just too fucking sick that's my excuse. Well, I, I hope you get better, Mitch. I won't. This is it for me. Well, you had a good run. Thank you. The readier room is in good hands. Don't, don't worry. Alright, uh, don't replace me with some fucking Jew. That'll do it for this episode of The Readier Room. Be sure to join us next week, where um, I may or may not make an appearance, depending on my mortality status. And a uh, quick shout-out to our sponsors. This week we are sponsored by um, Santa Claus. Um, ho, 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 happy holidays, says mm. Santa. And uh, next week we'll be tackling another episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, which by this point is just the current generation, but I hope you're all excited for that. I know I am. And until then, everybody, please stay ready. 
inside the bottle bottle 